Thank you, Pastor Tim, for that passionate, heartfelt prayer. And certainly we need to continue to pray for the events of the world, our nation, its problems, and uh, the challenges that face us as a society, which means we need to pray for all of our leadership and pray that God will speak to the hearts of those that we have entrusted to guide our nation through these difficult and troubling times. Uh, before I get into the message, again, thinking about Mother's Day, and I, I look around the sanctuary and I see the faces of a number of you who are here as guests, who are here uh, because of your mothers, you're honoring them, your grandmothers, and, and that is so nice, and I just want you to know on behalf of the church, we appreciate you so much being here today. And so, um, as you uh, open up your Bibles, I'm going to invite you today to turn to the book of Genesis in chapter 16, where we will be launching our uh, message this morning and it's interesting how God works never take for granted or become mundane in how God works in your life and his activity around you every day Uh, but even as I was being led by God in the preparation of the message for this morning I had sensed that God you know was gearing me towards a message that I could preach that would somewhere maybe make a connection with Mother's Day uh, and, and so in Genesis chapter 16, we'll be focusing there. But um, it, was, it was interesting to me, or I guess I, I found it very intriguing as I was going through the weekend preparing for this message, that I began to see where God was actually allowing this message to build upon the theme that Pastor Tim launched in his continued series in the book of Exodus. You may remember... Last week, as he was looking at chapter, or we were looking at chapter 7 through 15 in Exodus, that he, he shared with us and challenged us to think about how God has a grand mission. And, and that's a fact. God has, from the very beginning of time, or even before the dawning of history, God has had a mission. And it is a grand mission. Anything God does is absolutely grand and fantastic and, and, and divine and, and, and uh, supernatural. It goes beyond. And so there's this grand mission. And we saw how God last week as we looked in Exodus there beginning in chapter 7. How God uh, demonstrated that in this grand mission he involves, includes and uses people. He uses famous people. Powerful people. For instance, last week we saw that he was using the most powerful man in the civilized world at that time in in ancient history, uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And how God was using Moses to confront this evil pagan leader. And God was demonstrating he had a mission and we saw how that was playing out in the deliverance of the children of Israel, the plagues, etc., etc. Well, it's interesting, and I want you to understand that God's mission continues to go on. It's going on right now. We are every day a part of God's grand mission. And it will come to a full conclusion when Jesus returns. When that day is, we don't know. I sense in my spirit might not be long off into the future but but the fact is Jesus is coming again and he's coming again and he will be victorious over sin and evil and death and many of the woes that Pastor Tim prayed about that plague our world and 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 absolutely devastate innocent lives 
and, and tear up families and nations. Listen, God is sending His Son back here one day and He will completely defeat sin, death, evil, and all of that will be eliminated from the face of the earth and heaven altogether. Praise God. Even so, come now, Lord Jesus. But every day, God is working His, His, His amazing, grand mission. Unless you falter and, and, and maybe make the mistake that I did earlier in my spiritual journey, to think that, you know, God's grand mission really is cut out for great people like Abraham and Moses and David and Daniel Pharaohs and, and, and Babylonian kings and, and Roman, you know, Caesars and, you know, the big, the big wigs. But I want you to see and I want you to understand that God's grand mission includes you and me. God works through people like us. He works through people that would be absolutely unlikely to reveal himself and his plan and we'll see that today. You remember the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis and how God had called out this man from a pagan land, a man of faith, a man of, of obedience, a man that when God said, I want you to leave your father and your homeland and your culture and I want you to follow me to a land you've never seen and put yourself in the context of, 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 a, of, of a culture that you've never experienced and you're going to be a foreigner in a land that I'm going to give to you. And by the way, Abraham, I know you're getting on up in age, and he was, and, and I know that your wife, Sarah, for all practical purposes, is barren, but, but I just want you to know because I'm God. That I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to make a great nation of you. And I will make your name great. I will bless you. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so we see God working this grand mission even as early as the life of Abraham, and certainly predating that, Noah, and on back. But Abraham had gone down into Egypt with his family during a time of famine, and he, while there, his wife Sarah, Sarah, at this point, chapter 16, she acquired her servant, and that was certainly not unusual in that day. People had servants who worked for them and did their household chores, and she waited on Sarah and took care of her. But it's beginning to press on Sarah's mind in her heart that, you know, her husband has this great call of God where he's supposed to have more descendants than you can count. And I haven't given him one. So she's probably feeling a little bit of pressure. And so in chapter 16 we pick up, and the focus is not so much on Abraham now as it is on Sarah. In verse 1, Now Sarah... Abram's wife had borne him no children and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar so Sarah said to Abram see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children please go into my maid perhaps I shall obtain children by her 
Ab- and Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Sarah. It's important you stop and just pause on that last phrase. How many of you husbands listen to your wives? Now, now don't raise your hands. I won't get anybody in trouble. But a wise man. I know, I know the Bible tells us, and I firmly believe, teach and preach the concept of the spiritual headship of the man in the home. There's no doubt about that. That's God's design. But any man that's halfway wise will understand that God also works through his helpmate. And she's got words of wisdom that he'd best take to heart. Unless he doesn't, he'll hear about it later in the form of, I told you so. But anyway, I think about my own mother who's going to be with the Lord and she was a very wise woman. And, and I just observed how how very tactfully she, she was submissive to my dad. There was never any doubt in the minds of my brothers and sisters who was the head of the house. We knew who spanked the hardest. No. We knew dad was. And, and yet my mother had gifts and abilities and, and insights that my dad would never have gained or possessed. And without ever, ever appearing like she was usurping his headship she knew exactly how to insert her advice many times through the form of giving him suggestions where eventually he thought he came up with the idea but nonetheless it wasn't important to mom who got the credit the important thing was that the family be strong that the household be under the headship of Christ ultimately and that my dad be honored and she did a beautiful job of that but I'll give my dad credit too he was a wise man too because he learned how to listen he was never ever threatened by the godly advice of his wife and we had a good household we weren't rich we weren't luxurious but we were a hard working family But I praise God for the fact that my parents worked together just as God designed. So Abraham heeded Sarah. Now the only problem I have is this is messing with God's grand mission. Abraham, you don't see anywhere in your text here where Abraham said, Sarah, I hear what you're saying, but hold on just a second. I'm going to consult with God on this thing first. Because this is not what he said. This is not his plan. So I'm going to consult with God first. I'll get back with you on this. God probably has a word to say. But he never did. And there was havoc to play in the home. Later in the scripture we'll see where Sarah did have a suggestion. And God intervened. And he told, because Abraham was going to counter her suggestion. You'll see. And, and so there is a time where God says to Abraham, hey, listen to your wife. You know, God's got a sense of humor. If you can tell the false prophet Balaam, listen to your donkey. <laughs> He's talking to you. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly, a horse fly on the wall when that donkey turned and looked at Balaam and started talking to him? And what would have been more incredible and funny, and this is another sermon another time, but I can't resist it. But, but the fact is, Balaam talks back to the donkey. They're having a conversation. 
It's like Wilbur and Mr. Ed. But I won't go there. And some of the young people are looking at me like, say what? <laughs> I'll tell you about that later, okay? Okay, so, so Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. After Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So it's been a while, you know. They've been there and she's not born any children. So she says, plan B, I'll have my maid go in. So he went in to Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. In other words, I, you know, I, I try, to, try to imagine what was Hagar thinking. You know, she's just minding her own business, cooking, cleaning, you know, doing housework, waiting on her, mate, her mistress. And suddenly now she's going to be thrust into the bed with, a, with the master. By the way, Abraham was getting on up in age. So, you know, here's this old man. She's supposed to go in there and, well, you get the picture. But anyway, I'm getting nervous already. But the fact is, you know, she, she was really a, a pawn in the hands of powerful people. She had, and you'll see the predicament she's in. So, so this causes her to lose a sense of respect towards Sarah. And she's contemptuous towards her. And she's probably thinking now, oh great. Now, look, look what's happened. I'm pregnant now. And, and i got to carry this baby, and, and, and it's yours. And, and, and so she, she's not showing the love and, and the submission or, or that uh, or kindness that maybe she showed before. And Sarah picks up on this in verse 5. So I love this. Sisters, I love you to death, but women haven't changed, okay? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you right here. So Sarah said to Abraham, see, she noticed that Hagar is, that Hagar is not treating her real good now because Hagar is pregnant. So Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. And was, look what you've done. That's a fine mess, Abraham, you've gotten us into now. Now my maid won't even treat me good, you know. It says, I gave, her, I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. Oh, the Lord judged between you and me. Abraham, I, I'm just so sick of you. Abraham was like, what? So, you know, guys, don't, don't sit there like this has never happened to you. Like, what hit me? You know? So Abraham said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. <laughs> He's passing the buck. He basically says, Babe, don't bother me. It's your idea. You deal with her. He's the master. He's the head of the household. This is an internal problem. It certainly will affect the relationships within the camp. It has something to do with God's grand mission. And yet he's passing off and just saying, You deal with it. Don't you love it, mothers? Don't you just love it? When your husband says, you know, the kids are cross and they're being disrespectful and, and, and disobedient. And, and you, you, as soon as your husband gets there, you say, you know, little Johnny just won't listen to me. And he's been drawing on the wall and, you know, and, and pulling the cat's tail. And, you, and, and you know, and the husband, as he goes to get a soda, crashes on the sofa with the remote control. He says, you, you deal with it. That just endears your heart, doesn't it? Makes you want to get in something extra special for Father's Day. No, 
Fathers, we don't, we don't pass the buck. That's what Abraham was trying to, was doing effectively. So, in verse 6 it says, Sarah dealt harshly with her. I don't know what that meant. She may have taken a whip. Lashed her pretty good. I don't know, but the fact is, she made it so hard and so harsh and so uncomfortable for this maidservant of hers that Hagar, this young woman, now with child by Abraham, figures, I got to run away. I got to get out of here. Now, if you're a servant girl and you're out of your homeland and you have no rights and you have no belongings, you know what? You're in a pretty bad predicament. You're out in the wilderness. You've run away. And there she is. It's a tough predicament because number one, she's dependent. She's absolutely dependent upon a mistress and upon Sarah providing for her. That's all she's known. That's all she's had. She's desperate. Out in the wilderness, here she is. She's with child. She has no place to go. She has no one to turn to. She has nothing of substance to support her. So she's dependent, she's desperate, and she's dejected. She's feeling mighty sad because of her failure in life and the loss that she suffered, and she's depressed. She's downcast. My goodness. How insignificant can you feel? And yet, and yet, the God of the universe, the creator of all of creation, the sovereign ruler of eternity, heaven and earth, sees her. I want you to see that yourself. In verse 7, and the, now the angel of the Lord, and, and in my translation, angel is capitalized. It's not a proper name, but it denotes there that this is a theophany. In other words, this is not an ordinary angel. This is not an archangel. It's not one of the high-ranking angels or any angel. This is an expression that describes the appearance of God. So this is the Lord who's appearing to this no, you know, insignificant, desperate, dejected, desperate, dependent servant girl. He found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, which is on the border of the Philistia and, and Egypt. So she may have been making her way back towards Egypt. And he said. Hagar, Sarah's maid. Yeah, that's important. Because you know what? God didn't say, hey you. Hey, wandering runaway. He spoke to her and he called her by name. Not only that, but he absolutely nailed it down. Not only Sarah, it wasn't like he took a wild guess and said, is your name by chance Sarah? He said, Sarah, you who are servant of Sarah, where have you come from? And where are you going? Did God not know? Was he asking for information? 
No more so than when he asked Adam in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned. And God came into the, into the garden and he said, Adam, where are you? God knew. He knew exactly where Adam was. Adam was hiding. God knew why he was hiding. What he was looking for was confession. And so he's wanting Hagar to confess and to confront her circumstances. He says, you know, where have you come from and where are you going? And she says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Sarah. And sometimes you may find yourself as a mom, as a grandmother, or a parent, and even if you don't have children, you may find yourself in circumstances where you feel like you're so desperate. And you may feel like you are so absolutely dependent. And maybe like Hagar, maybe the situation appears almost hopeless. And maybe you may feel that because of the problems I'm having and because of the struggles I'm up against, that, that you know, all the world is going on by and nobody even knows where I am. Nobody even knows what I'm going through. I, I am in, in, in the grand scheme of things a nobody. And there are a lot of people living out in our community who probably are feeling that today. In desperate situations and feeling hopeless and feeling like there's nobody that knows. And I got news for you. I got news for you. If God can find a Hagar, He will surely find you. He knows your name. He knows your situation. He knows that you, no matter how you feel about yourself or your situation, He knows that He has included you in His grand mission. You have a part to play. So the angel of the Lord in verse 9 said, Return to your mistress and submit yourself unto her. <laughs> That's like a kid running away from home after having been beaten for doing something wrong. And... You know, the kindly police officer said, I'm going to take you back home. You know, he said, oh no, probably get another beating now. So here's Hagar's faith is put to the test. God says, go back home. But, but that's not the only thing the Lord says to her. I want you to see. Because God's got some promises for her. And he's got blessings for her. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, in verse 10, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. And every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. I'll stop there and explain. Why was Hagar pregnant? Was it because she was immoral? Was it because she was living a loose life? 
Was it because she was throwing herself at Abraham on a constant basis? No. She was a victim. She was a victim of her mistress's indiscretion and a a victim of her circumstances. A slave didn't have any choice. A servant didn't have any choice. God understood that. God not only understood her condition, but He understood the circumstances behind it. And He's basically saying to her, because I am a just and a holy God, I'm not going to punish you. Hey God, if, if you'll just cooperate, I will turn this very dismal situation into a blessing. And you will have many descendants. And the fact is, her son, Ishmael, would be the father of what we know as the Arabic nations today. Mostly a desert dwelling race. And I think God nailed it right there on the head. Verse 12. He's looking down through the corridor of time. He's looking at the 20th century. He's looking at the 21st century. He's seeing the contention that would exist between the Arabs and the descendants of Abraham, the the Jews. And to this day, take your pick. Just about any of the Arabic nations have been or probably soon will be engaged in some form of warfare. I think it's kind of ironic and and, and somewhat uh, probably um, disheartening when I see peace accord after peace accord after peace accord one president of the United States after another president of the United States after another president of the United States saying, I'm going to go over there and we're going to force these people to be at peace, the Jews and the Arabs. It ain't going to happen, folks. God says right here, Ishmael's descendants, they're going to fight, they're going to keep fighting and they'll be fighting until Jesus comes. Because that's who they are. You say, well, there's no hope for the Arabs. Oh, yes, there is. There's some mighty, sweet, dedicated, devoted Arabic Christians who love the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's the only hope. Otherwise, left to their own, right here. They're out there in the wilderness like a wild donkey. Nobody's going to be able to tame them. But God says, you'll have a lot of children. You'll have a whole lot of children, Hagar. I thought that was interesting. Kind of parallels what God had told Abraham. He told Abraham, you're going to have more descendants than you can count. You have a multitude of descendants. But look at verse 13, her response now. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And this is the name of God that she gave. You are the God who sees. Jehovah, Roy, I. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called. Beer Lahai Roy I. Observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was eighty six years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So God makes a dismal situation into a Situation in which he injects a promise to her. As long as you realize, no matter where you are, no matter what you find yourself going through, and I promise you, if I were to interview 
different ones of you, you could tell me of times in your life where you have faced circumstances that were absolutely so tragic, so horrific, so difficult, so dark, that you would even wonder in the back of your mind, does God see me? Does He know? And even this servant girl, having encountered God out there in the wilderness, on her own, on the run, realized, yes, He does. Nothing escapes the almighty eye of God. Now, I want to fast forward because I don't want you to lose the rest of the story. Ishmael is born. Abraham has, a, has now got a son. And, and so, but God will continue to remind Abraham as we go along that he has a promised son for him that Sarah, his wife, will bear. In fact, in chapter 18, we're not going to read it, but in chapter 18 is where God visited Abraham on his way to Sodom. And he tells Abraham, and, and Sarah's in the tent listening. She's eavesdropping. And God says, oh, by the way, Abraham, uh, by this time next year, Sarah, have a baby. And you remember Sarah's response. She's laughing. Ha, 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 ha. Who does he think? Does he not realize that I'm an old woman? I'm past, well past childbearing age. So when God said to Abraham, why is Sarah laughing? Sarah said, I didn't laugh. <laughs> God said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. God judges Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family rescued. We go further. We see where now Sarah, chapter 21, says in verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old, as God had commanded. Now, it's, it's very interesting to remember that, okay, all this time that God, that Abraham is waiting on, on uh, the promised son, he's developing a relationship with this son through Hagar, Ishmael. And, and there's a closeness there, as, as naturally you would expect. In fact, if I can just take you that, let me just share this out of chapter 17. At one time, when God was conversing with Abraham, and Abraham said to God, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham suggested to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Let Ishmael be that promised son. God, again, trying to tamper with God's grand mission. So, I want you to listen to God's response. This is in chapter 17, verse 9, 19. God said, no. There will be no substitutes. You can't slide Ishmael into the plan. It may seem logical to you. And that's why it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, that when we live our lives, when we carry out the functions of our marriages and carry out the functions of our families, when we function as a body of believers, listen, we best stick to God's plan. 
When people begin to devise alternative solutions to try to help God out is when we get in trouble. It may not be the most logical thing. It may not be the most comfortable thing. But if it's God's way, stick with it. Stay with it. God will ultimately prevail. So God had already ruled out. Ishmael is not going to be a substitute. And Abraham waits. And sure enough, when long... Here comes the child of promise, Isaac. He's born to, to, to Sarah in, in her 80s, which is a miracle of miracles. And I want you to fast forward to verse 8, chapter 21, verse 8. Because I want you to see how God is, is working to continue his grand plan. In chapter 21, so the child grew, speaking of Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar. Now we're going to have some contention stirred back up. She saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Now just picture it. Little old Isaac, just been weaned, little boy, running around, innocent, you know, sucking on a pacifier, whatever. It's a big celebration. Everybody's celebrating the fact that he's been weaned. And, 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 and I, Ishmael is about 17 years old. See, he's been the top dog all along. He's been the object of affection all along. He's the only son of Abraham. And now comes this runt, Isaac. So, so the Bible says that here's Ishmael, and he's taunting, if you will, Isaac. He's, he's scoffing, which is the highest form of, of, of ridicule, laughing. Like, just laughing, making fun of him. Now, moms, let's be honest. You don't want anybody picking on your kids. You don't want anybody making fun of them. Especially if they're your darling, precious, promised child. And here's that Egyptian slave's Boy, that nasty old Egyptian, and he's out there taunting my Isaac. Well, here goes Sarah again. So, <laughs> and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son. In other words, no sharing in this household, namely Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Why? Because he was close to Ishmael. He had 17 years to develop a relationship with this boy. He was, there was no denying. He taught him how to hunt. He taught him how to fish. He'd gone out on excursions with him. He, he, he talked to him about God and shared. And, and there was a relationship there. And now the idea of him being... Thrown out of the household, wasn't a, he wasn't really excited about that. But, but here's where God tells Abraham, listen to your wife. Listen to your wife, Abraham. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. In other words, God said to Abraham, my grand mission involves Isaac and Isaac alone. Does Ishmael need to go? Yes. It sounds kind of cruel. 
But look what God says in verse 13. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of a bondwoman because he is your seed. Why is Ishmael blessed by God? Because of his connection to Abraham. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water. And putting it on her shoulder, he gave it to her, gave it her and the boy Hagar and, and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. When she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, and the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one shrub, uh, under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, maybe out of hearing. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of, my, of the boy. She sat opposite and lifted her voice and wept. What a pitiful scene. But I want you to look at verse 17. And God heard the voice of Hagar? No. God heard the voice of the lad. Do you remember the name that God gave to Ishmael? Was God hears. The first encounter in the wilderness, Hagar gave a name for God that says, out here in this stark, barren wilderness, on my own, feeling insignificant and left alone, God saw me. He is the God who sees. He sees our predicaments. He sees our situation. He sees our hopelessness. He sees us. And now God is revealing yet another wonderful attribute of His Nature, and that is that God hears. Who did he hear? He heard a young man who was talking. I don't know if he was crying, but the fact is, Ishmael was calling upon the Lord. And God heard. You know, the scripture continually talks about how the Lord hears. In Psalm 34, the psalmist says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard. In your worship guides, in our responsive reading, we talked about how God uh, hears us. He responds to us. That's a wonderful thing to know about God. But also in the Psalms, in Psalm 91, one of my favorite verses, Psalm 91, 15. He says, he shall call up, God is speaking here. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. In Isaiah 58, 9, God said through Isaiah to the nation of Israel, says, then you will call upon me and the Lord will answer. You will cry to me and God says, I will say, here I am. It's not only important for us when we're feeling insignificant and when we're feeling hopeless and the circumstances of the world is coming against us, against our family, against us, our situation. It's not only important for us to know that God sees us. It's very important to know that he hears us because that's the nature of God. And this is a way that God is carrying out his grand scheme out here in the wilderness and God heard the voice of verse 17, chapter 21, verse 17. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand. For I will make him a great nation. 
God is saying this now through an angel. Angel. This is a messenger sent to dispatch, dispatch to, to reveal this to Hagar. Look at verse 18. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And look at verse 19. Not only did God hear her, but God began to respond to her need, to meet her need right away in verse 19. And God opened her eyes as she saw a well of water. Then she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and he became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And we see where God is carrying out his grand mission through the lives of two mothers who had two very different callings. Who were going to be involved in two very distinct ways in God's grand mission. Sarah to provide a son of promise through whom God would eventually, through the descendants of Abraham, through the descendants of Isaac and Jacob and all the way down, all the way until the Messiah. God knew His Messiah would not come through Ishmael, but His Messiah, which is a great part of the grand plan, would be through Sarah's offspring only. And I think it's interesting how Paul seized upon that. When he's trying to describe to the Galatians, Pastor Tim preached through that book and helped us to understand the battle that was going on in the church of Galatia between the legalist and his message of grace. How the Jews, were, the Jewish Christians were being tempted to revert back to, to legalism, dependent upon the law, and abandoned the absolute sufficiency of grace. And, and so Paul over there in Galatians, in chapter 4, he, he picks up on that. And I just want to share that briefly with you to help you see how he's, he's tying in the connection between what, what God has done and what God is doing. In chapter 4 of Galatians, in, chap, in verse 1, he talks about Abraham. He says, tell me, you, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondservant, the bondwoman, the other by a free woman. One is Hagar, one is Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bond, bondage, which is Hagar. For this, is, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which, is, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above, and he's talking about the new Jerusalem, talking about heaven, talking about the promises of God, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, that you do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who do not travail. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Talking about the, the, the tension, the clash between the uh, descendants of Ishmael and Isaac, the Arabs and the Jews. And then verse 30 
Nevertheless, what the scripture says, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of free. Yes, there were two. Very distinct happenings going on. Two very distinct women, two very distinct descendants, and two very distinct plans. God had a plan to bless Ishmael, to make him to multiply, but that was not the grand plan. The grand plan was all through Sarah and through Isaac and the descendants of Isaac and all the way to the Messiah. It's very important. It's very important. When we consider our relationship with God, that we understand from the teachings of the Word of God, what is God's plan? How does it affect me? And what is my responsibility to do it God's way? I promise you, when we deviate, and we try to take things that matters into our own hand, and we try to somehow improve upon what God has offered here, watch out. That's why the scripture in the book of Revelation includes a curse to anyone who would dare to add to this book or to take away from this book. God's word is God's word. Let's bow as we pray for God's complete guidance in our lives.